Welcome to the Soul Journeys podcast. My name is Jennifer Longmore, and I am founder of the number one Akashic Record training school in the world. As a seasoned light worker and ascension worker, I want to bring you the show to provide you with the divine guidance and tools that you need as a light worker and change agent to navigate this great awakening. So if that is something that you're craving, then you have come to the right place. Think of this High Vibe podcast as your guide to the changes that we're seeing in the world so that you can be supported in navigating the new paradigm. Leave it to me to provide you with the divine tools, resources, and experts that will support you in navigating this once-in-a-lifetime epic event. Thank you for pressing play. Let's dive in. Welcome back, everyone, to the Soul Journeys podcast. I am your host, Jennifer Longmore, as you know, and I'm really excited to introduce you to Madeline White Silva, who is a serial entrepreneur, former healthcare practice consultant, turned business architect for visionary leaders who are looking to level up, to lead up. She has worked with multi-million dollar practices in Silicon Valley and innovative entrepreneurs worldwide, teaching them to evolve their business model to align with their vision. So she uh, helps leaders, change makers, and rebels like you and I <laughs> to be able to create seven-figure businesses based on her three pillars of evolutionary business methodology. And we could go on and on about the things that you do, Madeline, but why I was really excited to have you on, and we're going to have you on the Seven Figure Club podcast as well, is because you don't have to be talking about this stuff. In fact, it's kind of off-brand in some ways, and yet you and I uh, connected because we're so passionate about what's going on in the world and have such a passion to you know, illuminate what's really going on, but also to lead people through this. And part of that, creating financial sovereignty. So that's why I thought it would be great for us to do this show together because you and I definitely don't have any skin in the game, meaning like it really doesn't serve our personal brands and our business brands to be as vocal as we have been. And yet here we are. Yeah, here we are. I call myself the, yeah, thank you so much, Jennifer. I'm really excited to have this conversation with you and connecting with you and your audience. And, you know, I call myself the the accidental activist, <laughs> you know, I would say, you know, I, I haven't really been politically involved that much. I moved away from Sweden when I was 19 years old in 1991. And uh, when I came to America in the U.S., I realized it was very hard to get a global news that was unbiased. And so I actually kind of just left news and, and the news cycle altogether and just focused on life. And that has served me really well until this year when things get really intense. And I couldn't help myself but starting to do a lot of research and really diving into it. And uh, I've been for medical freedom my whole life. My mom, she's, uh, I call her the rebel nurse, you know, she uh, got us kicked out of more pediatrician offices than I can count when I was growing up in Sweden, because she's, uh, she wouldn't vaccinate us. And she, you know, she wouldn't give us antibiotics. I mean, she had a lot of rules around uh, how to trust our natural ability to heal from the inside out. And I always joke that pretty much we had to be dead if we didn't want to go to school because, you know, for her, there was nothing that fresh water or fresh air couldn't cure. You know? it was like, 
So, so I just grew up with that mentality that the body knows how to heal and it doesn't need an outside agent to make that happen. And, and also because I'm unvaccinated, I've, you know, I'm blessed with really great health. My immune system is very strong. And she sent me around me and my brothers around the neighborhood to get all the childhood diseases to naturally develop strong mm-hmm. immune system and antibodies against them. So I had me- measles, the mumps, uh, rubella, you know, I have them all when I was a kid. Um, and so, yeah, so when all of this started happening, I realized very quickly that something had gone really wrong and what we were being told was, was not true. And it just simply just didn't make any sense. I mean, just the, the very first premises that healthy people spread disease, that asymptomatic spread is the thing. To me, that is the, the very fundamental lie that we've been told when this all started. And uh, started to unraveling from there. And uh, have, yeah, it's been a journey. And I'm so glad that it has led me to connect with other light workers. And people who are really committed to making a difference in the world right now and, and stepping up to really lead the way like you and, and many of our friends and colleagues that we've connected with uh, this last year. It's been really amazing. Isn't that so fantastic? Like, we don't really need friends anymore. What we need is allies in whatever our mission is, whatever aspect of this, because as you well know, and all of you listening know this too, that there's so many things to be passionate about right now. It, it kind of feels weird to pick a lane, but because our energy, we only have so much energy in a day, right? We kind of have to pick that thing that we're going to be a stand for. And I know you're focused, I mean, you're focused on, on civil liberties as well, but I know you're really trying to debunk all the, the medical stuff and what we've been told and so on. And for me, I just feel like, why are we even talking about a virus anymore? Like, because as long as we keep talking about this, we're not talking about what's really going on. It's just a distraction. It's not to say there isn't something out there. I don't even know what it is. I, I, from what I understand, it hasn't even been uh, isolated as a virus. From what I understand, it's more of a bacteria or a pathogen. Yeah, correct. So um, there's been a study in Sweden, actually, at Lund University. Um, they took cadavers and did autopsies on these cadavers and they weren't able to find a viral infection in any of the bodies that I found. They found a lot of different comorbidities and different disease pathologies going on in those bodies, but I couldn't actually identify the virus. Andrew Kaufman, another doctor, uh, has been speaking out a lot about the fact that they haven't been able to isolate the virus in any lab settings and that we're not even sure exactly what the PCR test is even testing for. Um, so yes, so, and then of course, there is the idea that viruses really are just here to actually cleanse our bodies. We live with viruses all the time and bacteria all the time, and that viruses are simply just a detoxifier for our bodies. And this actually doesn't cause disease at all. So you can, you know, there's lots of different theories. I definitely believe that um, people are dying and there is some kind of pathology happening. I believe some of it is, is lab induced from the Wuhan lab that's been inoculated into certain areas in the world and spread from there. But I also believe of course, that we've seen all the flu and the cold numbers are completely dropped down to zero, you know, uh, heart attacks and, and heart disease has for the, you know, cancers are for the first time in decades being lower numbers this year. So obviously people are dying 
but not necessarily from this specific novel virus that then that they're saying it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I think too, I, I know there will probably have some people listening that are like, you know, we sound so callous because we're talking about people dying. And it's not that obviously we wouldn't want anyone to die. We'd rather, not, like, if you're going to be angry about COVID killing people, you should be, but just direct it in the right right directions nobody none of us are killing each other this is something that seems to be have you know yeah I think that's that you know thank you for bringing that up and I think that's true I probably sound callous at times I've been saying this from the beginning we cannot outrun death and we cannot outrun a virus I feel like death is just as much part of life as life itself we are all heading in that general direction we here on borrowed time in this body at this time. We don't have it, you know, that's something that's just there. People are gonna die no matter what. And people are dying because of the reactions that the that we have had to COVID. I'm imagining that those deaths, once they start actually matter and being reported on, are gonna far outweigh the deaths that happened because of COVID. You know, I mean, just every percentage in the U.S. that unemployment goes down, 40,000 people die. So you start looking at those numbers. We already outnumbered the number of people who died from COVID just from that. And then we're not counting suicide from isolation and the complete inhumane ways that we are dealing with people in nursing homes or family members that are sick and dying in the hospital for other reasons or even for COVID reasons where people can't be together until they die in breath. I mean, the inhumanity that we are accepting as the norm right now, it's, it's alarming to me, way more alarming than this virus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel you. And I, I don't think you sound callous. I'm just aware that sometimes when we talk about this, because we've been taught, you and I have been talking about this for so long, for example, that it starts to sound very matter of fact. But for anyone listening, where if you have had someone die because of COVID or COVID related symptoms, or, or, you know, someone that's been really sick, or perhaps you've been sick, we feel for you, believe me. Uh, And we also know that there's way more going on. And there's a lot of things that we're being distracted from that are already being ushered in, like what's happening in Israel. And uh, the fact that Bill Gates managed to buy up a boatload of farmland like, why would he need to do that? And, and who stands to gain from Bill Gates owning, you know, that much farmland? Like, what could go wrong here, right? There's so many things that we're being distracted from. And like you said, there's, from what I understand from the numbers, there's way more people dying of despair-related deaths than of COVID. Absolutely. That's, that's been the numbers that I've been telling up as well. And I think it's a mistake of us to only focus on one thing. And just for you listening, you know, right now I have a dear family friend who's been in a coma on a ventilator due to COVID supposedly for five months in Sweden. Um, You know, I've had many, my husband is Native American. So he has, you know, the, the Navajo nations out in Arizona has probably been hit one of the hardest areas in all of the world. Most people don't know about that. They already have very low um, ability to, you know, many of them don't even have access to, to water. So to washing their hands. So it's not even an option for, for a lot of them. And many of them 
have many comorbidities and, and poor health and poor health care in those areas. And they've been very hardly hit. And so we have lost family members and friends as well. So it's not that we don't understand that that is happening. It's just the narrative that is being spun around it is it's the biggest lie I've ever seen. Um, and it just continues on. And it's spinning out. To me, it's more about governmental control, like what's happening in Israel, where we now have the, the vaccine passport. And unless you don't have the passport with you and you've been vaccinated, fully vaccinated, then you are not allowed to participate in society. You cannot get into the theater. You cannot go to the grocery store. You cannot go to the pharmacy. You cannot, you cannot participate. You cannot go to a restaurant. Um, and you're being excluded out of society. I call this medical apartheid. This is a real thing that's starting to happen now across the world. And so that's very scary. Uh, if any of you have at all looked up Agenda 2020, that's just an agenda that the UN has launched decades ago that a huge amount, uh, many, many countries signed up on and agreed to, to participate in. And when you read Agenda 2020, it sounds like paradise on earth. Nobody is gonna lack food. Nobody is gonna lack housing. Uh, nobody's gonna have to worry about diseases. Nobody's gonna, uh, you know, it goes on and on and how we're gonna protect the environment. It's really is an environmental movement. But really what that is, is a way of controlling humanity and, um, and also limiting the number of people on this planet so that we're not destroying the planet resources. And it's being protected for the few, the elite few who get to live their life like they see fit, but we contribute simply as a workforce and to pay taxes so that it continues on so that they can live off our labor. I mean, that's really where we're heading unless humanity wakes up and we have an opportunity to take our lives back. And I do believe that this is the biggest fear of the elitist few is the fact that we, the people are gonna finally be able to wake up and say no more, that this is our life. See, here's the thing is that we don't have to live within these governmental policies. We don't have to live within the rules that are being superimposed on us. There's no justification for anything that's been happening so far. The only reason this is happening is because majority of people are going along. And the longer we just put our heads down and continue on, like, like, like we are somehow part of this insanity, the longer this will perpetuate. And so there is a window of opportunity for humanity to start waking up. And I think that's really why we are here, right, Jennifer, to help people wake up, to see the light so that you can claim your own sovereignty. You know, like my husband says always, you know, our freedom comes from ourselves. We create our freedom, but our sovereignty is something that's been given to us oftentimes by the authorities and the governments, but we have now an opportunity to reclaim it and rebuild what we actually want. So it's less about necessarily pushing against what we don't like as it is maybe saying, hey, I don't wanna participate in this broken system anymore. And I choose to rebuild something that feels much more sustainable and kinder and 
and in a way that that actually supports the people. You know, there's been so many lies that's been told to us over the years. So when you start down the rabbit hole, it can be a little bit disorienting. So we talked a lot about cognitive dissonance this year and how scary that is. And I don't know. So I learned about cognitive dissonance the very first time when I sat in college at a, a history class. And I was told that the Native Americans could not see the ship that was out on the ocean as they were coming towards the land because they had never seen a ship before. So just they actually their brains couldn't even realize what it was. And so therefore they didn't see it until those ships was almost on shore. And so I found that so fascinating that our brains have a capability of completely blocking reality out or, or something like that that's real in the world that's right there in front of us because it goes against what we can, what we think is normal or what we have been used to or what we perceive as reality. And, and that has been so true this year. We're really watching that, how scary it is to allow some of these stories in and, and look deeper at these uh, spun, fear-based uh, narrative and lies that we are being told and really go a little bit deeper and see if we can unravel them and find the real truth underneath. And it's, it, it can be a little bit unsettling because everything that you built your life on and that you believe that's real is falling to the sideways as you do. And, but I also will say it's been very free. And um, there's a lot of us on this side who are leading the way now and finding our way through and banding together. I mean, community uh, in a time when isolation has been the, the thing that people have been celebrated all this year, I would say I have built more community than ever before in my life of people who are really, and I call them freedom fighters, not necessarily because they're fighting against something. We actually fighting for freedom and not just for us or necessarily what we want it to look like, but for all people to have freedom and sovereignty, to have a choice and step forward. So that's, you know, it's a take a deep breath, step in and, um, you know, and, and know that we're here to support you along the way as you discover what's really happening. Mm -hmm. I love that you shared that. And you and I connected, we were already connected, but then, you know, you would post some things and I'm like, thank God someone gets it. So then, you know, that's how we bonded because it seems like, you know, there, there's such a high degree of compliance with the global agenda. And what people aren't realizing is that the longer the compliance goes on, the more they get away with it. People like you and I that don't want to wear a mask and participate in all the shenanigans, we're being, you know, the, the, it's being inverted. And it's being implied that we're the ones that are making this go on longer. It's like, no, actually the compliance is making it go on longer. And even for those people that are complying because it's easier. And I get that because I know you've had some experiences where you've, you know, like you and I don't gain anything. We have way more to lose, so to speak, by speaking out against this. It's not, you know, I, I haven't really been attacked and I'm not inviting that in either by saying, Hey, you know, I haven't been attacked yet. So can someone please attack me? 
but um, I, I think people kind of know, and I, I would guess the same is true for you. Like we, we both carry ourselves in such a way that we probably don't get it the same way as other people, but you and I have nothing to gain by putting ourselves out there and speaking truth into the situation. So can you share maybe how you've navigated some of that stuff that's come at you? Yeah. So, you know, I've had some interesting opportunities with that this year that I never expected. You know, I, I grew up in Sweden in, in the 80s. And when the Berlin Wall was still up and the Eastern Bloc was still a real thing. And we used to go skiing in this right on the border of East Germany. So we were in West Germany, but it was right on the border. But we could see the towers, the guard towers. And, and they would scream and yell if you got too close and they could even shoot at you. I mean, it was very, it was a little intense. Um, and, and I grew up watching when the Berlin Wall finally came down, watching the little Ladas, which is the, the Russian made cars. So it was just tiny, tiny cars that would be, you know, packed with people, suitcases on top of the roof, driving through uh, Europe, just because it was the very first time they ever been allowed to leave their country. So I grew up with some, some reality to what it looks like to live in a censored environment. Even though I didn't live in it, I got to see these the people who came from that background and who didn't have who lived under censorship, who lived under uh, communist government and dictatorships. And so I never thought I was ever going to be able to experience, I was ever going to experience that in the world that I live in, in Sweden or in the United States. And the level of censorship that's happened this year has been insane. And so one of the things that happened to me is that my, my business CRM that I utilized, it housed all my websites, my membership sites, my, my blogs, my email list. I have, I do all my sales of all my products through that, through that vendor. It's called Kartra, very well known. It's a huge company. And I've been with them since the very beginning. I loved them for many, many years. Great so software. And I, I really enjoyed it. And all of a sudden, I got a 40, I got an email that said, if I didn't take down two of my blog posts within 48 hours, I would, they would basically close my whole business account and confiscate all of my intellectual property, which is my whole business. And the, the, the email itself was very threatening. It was sent, it ended up in my spam folder and I just by accident stumbled across it. And when I found it and looked at it, I was kind of horrified and they, they identified two blog posts, but it also said if I didn't take those down, um, they would close my account. But it also said that they would actually scan the rest of my accounts to see if there was any other violations that I had. And if they found any, they might close my account anyway. So it was very threatening. And I started looking at it and the two blog posts, one of them was a, was a blog post that had 40 questions just questions for anybody who was interested in learning more about vaccines to research. Because I was unvaccinated growing up and I've been in alternative health for a good 30 years, I'm very well educated on vaccines and the vaccines injuries that happens and, and what those numbers up. So I was wanting to people to give them some questions that I can ask to help them educate themselves and find the truth for themselves. So that was one of the blog posts. The other blog post was stats and numbers 
from the vaccine injury courts and from the vaccine injury reporting agency. These are government run agencies. This is, you know, and I was quoting different numbers and, and stats in a, in a blog post, not opinionated, just the numbers. I had reference in everything that I was pulling. I had references uh, below the blog post and that was the other blog post that they were red flagging and that I had to take down. So at this day and age, you can't speak out against blog uh, uh, against vaccines in any way or form. You can't help, you can't even, even attempt to educate people will be flagged and censored. So that happened. And then I had, <laughs> I, uh, I had an incident at Whole Foods. So I've been going to Whole Foods for a long time. Um, well, I probably started shopping Whole Foods like in 91, right? Like forever. So 30 years I've been shopping at Whole Foods. And I was at the local Whole Foods where I've been going all year without a mask. Uh, I have a medical exemption. Um, and so I have a medical exemption that is due to a physical trauma that I had. I was physically assaulted and um, pinned down and I thought I was going to get killed and I couldn't breathe. And so the mask is definitely a triggering effect because it's obstruct my airflow. So I haven't really, you know, I've been really staying away from wearing the mask. And so I was in Whole Foods and I've been in there, like I said, for the last nine months shopping in there, no problem. And on in this particular day, um, this man came up to me. He was wearing a face shield, a face mask, a blue coat, a little tray, and plastic gloves. And he comes up to me and goes, you have to wear a mask. And I said, I have a medical exemption, which is how I've been answering that the last previous nine months with no problem. And he uh, followed me around and said, no, you really need to wear a mask. And I said, but I've been shopping here for nine months. I have a medical exemptions. And he goes, yes, but we have changed our protocols. I need to take your temperature. I need to ask you some questions and I need to take down your personal contact information. And I was like, no, I'm not going to divulge my private health information in the grocery aisle. That is not happening right now. And so I'm not going to do that. And he goes, then you need to leave. And I said, no problem. I will just pay for my groceries. I'm out of here. No issue. And he goes, no, you cannot pay for your groceries. You have to leave your groceries here. And um, I was like, I said, and I just looked at him and I was like, okay, I don't necessarily want to start a big confrontation. So I started just walking away, took my cart and I just started pushing it up until the, uh, the checkout stands um, just because I was like, okay, this guy's being ridiculous. He followed me and confronted me again, at which point I lost it. Uh, and I said, you can call the cops. Uh, there's nothing you can do. This is wrong. You know it's wrong. We, this should not be happening. And um, and as you know, and I could see people now started to stare at us and look at us, and you know, obviously we're drawing some attention. And um, the lady who I was standing in line in the checkout line, she she stood up behind the checkout cashier and she leaned over the band, the grocery band, and she screamed at me. And she goes, I will not check you out unless you wear a mask. And she screamed really loud at me. And, um, and I just realized at that moment that being there on your own by yourself, 
fighting that system, it's, it's a very powerless position. And I think that's done by design. And I walked out of, you know, I can't, that's the moment I actually left. I, I realized that it wasn't going to, you know, I didn't have time and energy to waste fighting that battle. I did file um, a suit against them in civil rights justice department against um, discrimination for medical exemptions, which I believe that we need to start doing as this starts happening. We need to start speaking up. We can't just let these things just fall to the wayside. Now, I, I would say this too. I don't think that we need to fight the old system quite as hard. When it happens in a moment, if you have a moment like that, then address it. Is it exhausting to go everywhere without a mask and constantly being in the, in the level of confrontation that we're dealing with? Yes. But I also want to let you know that when we band together and do this together, it's really, really simple act of civil disobedience that we all can do. It's, you know, have your mask on you, like have it in your back pocket or something. Don't wear it. Go everywhere you go without wearing a mask. When somebody asks you to put on a mask on, put it on. But if we all just that, did that simple act of civil disobedience, you don't have to argue, you don't have to say anything, just put it on when they ask you. But to really start making it so that they have to actually ask for us to comply. So that's step one. For those of you who have low confrontation tolerance, that's a really good place to get started. For those of you who are okay with dealing a little bit of more pushback, you can show up not wearing a mask and file, you know, the laws, there's at least a dozen federal and state laws that will protect you, um, that there is literally discrimination, and I call it medical apartheid for what is going on in the world right now. And there are legitimate reasons uh, for us to stand up for our civil rights and fight back a little bit. And I think that's really is what needs to happen. Yeah, I love that you shared that. I, uh, you know, for me, and part of this is my human design and whatever, but integrity issues, like it just boils my blood, right? And so it's really hard for me to take direction from satanic, corrupt, pedophiles and other beings, right? Like Whole Foods, I guess not surprising considering who owns Whole Foods right. that they would be now pushing that, right? <laughs> Our local grocery store <clears throat> magically is funding PCR tests. What is a grocery store doing funding PCR tests? Why are they producing and funding that? That makes no sense, right? So we know this, we know there's more going on, but <clears throat> anyways, the masks, you know, this is part of indoctrination, even within the satanic cult, they, they create this and then they, uh, part of their thing, even within their own system is humiliation. So we see them sacrifice their own, right? And humiliate them in the public arena on the world stage because it's just part of their MO. And so the masks and the reason why people have so much shame, even when you're putting it on, it's kind of an act of self-betrayal. Now I get that it's not black and white and there's a lot of gray area and, you know, there's a lot of reasons why people kind of have to bite the bullet and wear it, but we still feel shame around it because we know on some level that it's meant to humiliate and to get us to comply and conform. 
And we come by it honestly, because the school system teaches us, sit down, come into the school when the bell rings, leave the school when the bell rings, go outside for recess, come back inside from recess, climb the monkey bars this way, sit at your desk for this long, regurgitate this information. Like we're very good at complying and demonstrating our compliance. And, uh, but anyways, for the masks, you know, I feel for you because I know that it's getting, it's getting way more heated out there. I'm hearing more and more people uh, getting harassed and so on. And for those of you listening, that is criminal harassment and you can command and demand that the police get called and address the criminal harassment because nobody's allowed to stalk you in a store, even if they're an employee. Um, but with the masks, like for people that are feeling indignant about it, if I go on your social media profile and I don't see you wearing masks from 2019, 2018, 2017, then actually you can explain yourself to me is how many people do you think you killed unintentionally by passing the flu, passing TB, all this other stuff. So let's cut the shit, right? Like it's, it's astounding to me that up until 2020, none of us were conditioned to look at each other as biohazards, but enough spell casting happened in the media. And all of a sudden people are getting indignant about masks. And, and oftentimes those are coming from people that when you look at them, they clearly have not made their health a priority, but all of a sudden they want me to make their health a priority. It's like, no, if you were, you know, like, again, we've all probably very unintentionally injured other people by spreading the flu and spreading other airborne things. Totally unaware of it. We'd be devastated if we found out that's never our intention. These things are going to happen. And if the masks were effective, then how come people are still getting so sick? And all these magical variants that are now coming up. And I know you talked to a lot of people. I just, I just met with a nurse that I know the other day and she's like, yeah, it's she, cause she was there during the SARS pandemic and she actually got SARS or uh, epidemic, I guess it was called. And, um, and so initially when this started, she was afraid, right? Cause she'd been there, done that. She was an emergency room nurse. She contracted SARS. It was not pretty, you know, back in the, in, at that time, people, at least in the city were wearing masks or some people were wearing masks, but now she's seeing it all come together. And even for her, as someone who should have cognitive distance the other way, meaning she should be looking at people like you and I going, what's your problem? SARS <laughs> kills people, right? She's like, something's not adding up around this, but I'm hearing so many people. My, my VA lives a totally, totally different location than me. She has to go to the hospital all the time. She says every single time she goes to the hospital, she is the only patient in the entire floor. I hear this all the time that the emergency rooms are empty that there's nowhere near what's going on. And these are from people that I personally know. Yes, I mean, the numbers, I always say, you know, if I cooked my numbers like this for my for my books, for my business, I would be an orange jumpsuit at a state penitentiary. <laughs> you know, the way that I cooked the, the numbers for COVID is, is outrageous. Uh, I mean, the mm. fact that if you ever tested positive for COVID, you are considered a COVID death, even if you died anytime afterwards, doesn't matter when you died afterwards, uh, for whatever reason. I mean, I have had personal friends who had a son who died in a motorcycle accident, very tragic. He was written as a COVID death, right? We have stage four lung cancers written as COVID deaths. And this is not something... It's a conspiracy theory or something that made up. You can listen to any of 
press conferences of authorities of the government actually explaining what is included and how they count COVID deaths. So it's clearly been skewed majorly. Plus the PCR test is not considered a diagnostic tool. It never was intended for the use of testing for disease. Number three, in order to to, to test for any kind of disease, there has to be a certain amount of threshold that will say it's an active infection. So one thing that's been completely thrown out the window with the COVID PCR test is that the threshold is supposed to be 36 plus. And we are calling anybody who has anything, like even a number six on a threshold is considered a COVID test. So this diagnostic criteria was only changed after the election, okay? So January 8th, I think they finally changed the the actual diagnostic criteria. And at that moment in time, so now we've, since then, we've seen a 66% drop in COVID cases, (laughs) okay? So we're still testing more, right, than ever before. But now all of a sudden we don't have any positive tests. Well, it's simply because they finally adjusted the diagnostic criteria. So the way that they have manipulated the numbers is outrageous. And you also have to remember in the United States, half of the numbers, the people have died in nursing homes. And primarily in Washington state and New York state, where the governors on purpose sent six people back to nursing homes. So we were told that we were supposed to be on lockdown to flatten the curve, to protect the people that are most vulnerable. Of course, we want to do that. Of course, that is a noble thought and a noble cause. And I said from the very beginning that we can do both. We can remain, keep our society open, protect our economy, protect our small business owners who provide 50% of the jobs in the whole country. We can protect all of that and still protect the most vulnerable in our society. But that was never really the intention. It was the narrative, but it was never the intention. And so instead they sent six people back into the nursing home, both in New York and in Washington DC. And and they died, of course they died. Like these are people that already are in their seventies and eighties. And the majority of deaths have happened uh, in 70 and above. And, and you have to look at the numbers, 94.6% of people survive COVID even at that age group, 70 and above. Anybody below that, the survival rate is over 99%. So this is equivalent. So even with all the cooking of the numbers, this is equivalent to a regular flu season. If you look at the total deaths in the US or in Sweden or Italy or UK, you also find that the, the total deaths for 2020 was not higher than any other year than what we see. So it's clearly that a pandemic did not inflate mortality rates, right? These are really important numbers to take a look at. Um, and so these numbers have just been completely inflated, manufactured, and for the longest time, if you ever watch the news, which I do not, but you know, CNN, they had the numbers the number count of the COVID deaths and the COVID cases, right? So first we were looking at deaths, but then the death count, because the survival rate was so high, didn't really scare people enough. So then we just focused on the, the case rates, how many people have been getting sick so that we could really create really 
phenomenal high numbers because we have this inflated test that just made anybody that even wasn't sick sick, right? This is where the asymptomatic spreader came into play because there was all these people that have zero symptoms that tested positive. Well, yeah, because the diagnostic criteria for a threshold of the PCR test was completely wrong. So of course, healthy people would test. That would be with any diagnostic test if you don't follow the protocols. I mean, that's nothing unusual. So if you don't understand science and you don't understand medicine, and if you don't understand how to read a scientific paper and you're simply just following along with the, with the headlines, you're gonna get lost. And it's gonna get really, really scary, which I think is what happened for the majority of people. And I must say, that's probably the biggest surprise to me in all of this. The fact that people in, in a situation like this are not willing to do their own research. That blindly takes what we are being told in media as facts. And the skewed narrative, it's so outrageous. Um, and you really don't have to dig very deep. Like I always said, the truth is hidden in plain sight. Like, you know, you can go and look any of this stuff up. It's hidden in plain sight. It's not buried somewhere. It's very easy to find. Mm -hmm. But you have to be willing to at least question the main narrative. You have to be willing to say, well, is that true or not? How does that really work? You know, and, and look into the facts. And when you start doing that, it, it's very apparent that what, what was really happening and the lies that we've been told every step of the way and everything that people have been fed uh, has been primarily to produce this level of fear. And the isolation with the masks and the isolation with the lockdown and the isolations of staying away from your loved ones and your family. And, uh, you know, I have grandparents who want to see their grandchildren. And, you know, it's heartbreaking to me because in reality, the only thing that's finite in this world is time. The only thing that we don't have an abundance of is time. But we're giving away our most precious commodity of time in order to appease this inflated idea of, of a deadly disease that actually is not very deadly at all. And it's it's, it's the biggest crime against humanity that we ever lived through. And and it's, it's, I've never seen anything like it. I never, and I must say, I'm surprised how many people just buy the, the narrative and think that it's, this is, this is the way it is. This is what we're being told. This must be true. And without actually asking any questions about it. Mm -hmm. It really does defy logic. I think what people also don't realize is that the numbers that are reported are all satanic numbers, right? You'll notice there's a ton of threes, a ton of threes, sixes, and nines in the numbers they report. And additionally, when they're like, you know, 31 more people or like 33 more people died of COVID, which is also, you know, just matching their number codes, they have to tell us no numbers because we would notice, like I live near a town that's got like 40,000 people. If five, if it truly was a pandemic, we'd be seeing bodies everywhere. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they can't tell us that 5,000 people died in my area because that would be noticeable. 
So they have to tell us, like you said, these low numbers that are satanic codes and then higher cases because that's what's scaring people. And then, of course, they had to introduce the variants because then they can still be, you know, blame that that's how they can still monetize our bodies because that's where we're going. This is the new source of monetization. It's our bodies where we're going to have to keep getting vaccinated. I don't think people realize this. You're going to have to keep getting vaccinated every year perhaps several times a year. I wouldn't be surprised if they try to mandate the flu vaccine as well and whatever other vaccines, because they're going to keep saying, oh, that vaccine was only for this strain. Now there's this new strain. Well, if there's 19 new variants, we're all going to go out and get 19 vaccines. Like, where's the logic people? Come on. We've got to, we've got to use our logical brains. And yeah, I wondered and no, go ahead. For you, like, I just want to point out to everyone listening that as I introduced you, you're very, uh, you've spent a lot of time in the medical field and talking to a lot of, you, you, you've just been exposed to this on a lot of different ways. And then of course, your mom having her background and so on. And hopefully you're all hearing from this. Like if you're listening to this and you're not watching this, you may not be able to see that Madeline and I weren't planning on talking about this. She can speak off the cuff. This is clearly embodied wisdom. When you've done enough research, you can speak like, you know, you're not reading from notes. If people are watching this, they can see you're not reading from stuff. This is just so embodied. You've, you've spent a great deal of time researching it and you have nothing to gain from it. The reason I point that out as well is because I, at the beginning of this, I thought, where, where are all the doctors and nurses? Why aren't they speaking out? But when I realized that they have a lot to lose, some of them are still, Mm -hmm. and probably for the next 20 years going to be paying off their medical degree they've got young families potentially, or they, they just have too much to lose. Right. So for those people, when that people are saying, how come our doctors aren't speaking out? It's like, well, let's again, use logic and say, what does someone have to lose by coming and speaking out right against the Rockefeller model of medicine? There's a yeah, lot to lose. It's such an important point, you know, because all of the doctors that are speaking out and almost anybody that speak out against the narrative are being blacklisted, they're being defamed, they're being their careers are being taken away from them. Like Andrew Kaufman, who I mentioned earlier, his career has been gone. Uh, you know, Dolores Cahill, who is probably the most experienced epidemiologist in the world. She used to be the advisor to the EU on these issues, she has been stripped from all her credentials and all her career is gone. Uh, Sherry Tenpenny, who I've been following for probably 30 years, who has been amazing. She has the vaccination information center that's now been taken off Facebook. She's been amazing uh, researcher in all of these subjects, completely scrapped. Andrew Wakefield from England, completely scrapped from all his credentials. So the level of harassment and defamation that they go after these doctors is horrendous. Okay, so that's one part of it. Obviously, if your livelihood depends on this, then it's very scary to to be completely scripted. And I think that that's what a lot of people may be listening to this, that maybe you are afraid for standing up because you know the backlash is going to be intense. You hear my story, maybe you are terrified of what happened to me. But I just want to let you know that when you start speaking up, Uh, Like I said, I was the accidental activist. When I started speaking up, there was a magic that happened is that I became a lighthouse for other light workers. 
my people found me because I had the courage to speak up. So, so many people might be saying, I'm speaking up because I want people to change their mind. I actually spoke up because I wanted my people to find me. I was speaking up for the people who didn't have the courage to speak up, who didn't have a voice, or maybe people who felt lonely and isolated and scared and knew the truth, but didn't have anybody to validate them. Those are the people that I wanted to speak up for. And that's how I connected with Jennifer and so many other amazing leaders in the space who are really stepping up and talking about this in spite of everything. So that's amazing, right? So I just want you to know that that is what happens when you do start kind of voice in your opinion. You actually will, yes, some people will disappear. Yes, people will disappear from you, but don't worry, it will be filled back in. No problem, absolutely. The other thing I wanna say, you know, I've been in healthcare for 30 plus years, and um, this is something that many, many people have not been aware of, is the devastation that have happened to healthcare. See, healthcare been broken for decades long before COVID came around and this crisis came around. And so what's been happening in the healthcare industry is an atrocity what happened because it's turned into a corporate, you know, corporate setting now. So doctors and nurses do not run the show. They do not get to care for patients the way they wanted to. Most of these people get into that profession because they want to make a difference. They want to help people. And instead they get caught up in a corporate uh, money-making machine where they are told that they can only spend X number of minutes with a patient because they need to bill it and they need to be able to make a profit from that service. So doctors and nurses do not get the care for patients the way they would like to. That's been gone for decades now. This is why the average amount of people a patient get to speak before they get interrupted when they go to, to the doctor's office is 13 seconds. It's 13 seconds before they get interrupted. So can, so there's, you know, there's no space for the patient. There's space, you know, diagnostic tools and, and prescription drugs, pharmaceutical companies that benefit from these things. That's what we are feeding. We're feeding the big HMOs, the big PPOs, and, you know, the Affordable Care Act was really just corporate welfare. It was sold again as health insurance benefits for people who couldn't afford it. But really, not a penny was spent on actual health care. It was spent to pay insurance premiums, which were not lowered. They were actually highly increased medical premiums from insurance companies that were simply subsidized by our taxpayer money. But not a penny was spent actually paying for health care. And on top of that, when the Affordable Health Care Act came into play, our deductibles went from being $250 to $500 a year to all of a sudden being $5,000, $15,000, $25,000 a year. Like that's what I saw on my end working in, like I did insurance billing. That was my previous business. I did insurance billing for doctors. So I, I run my own service and, you know, had a team run it doing that for them. But so I was very well aware of what the transition that happened. The other thing that most people are not aware of is that physicians have the highest suicide rate of any other profession in the world, in, in the US specifically, right? So that's higher than military, higher than police, 
higher than any other profession are physicians. Now, they want to tell you that it's because they burnt out. They're in such high demand and they have such stressful jobs. They're holding life and death questions in their hands. But I promise you, none of us are going to die or want to kill ourselves because we're fulfilling on our purpose. That just doesn't happen. These doctors went into this profession because they wanted that responsibility and wanted to make a difference in this way. If they were free and allowed to actually fulfill on their purpose and their God-given gifts, they wouldn't kill themselves. They killed themselves because they have a moral dilemma that they don't actually get to show up for their patients the way they wanted to. You know, I, I interview people, uh, medical doctors and such, and, and one of my, my clients, she calls it the golden handcuffs. You know, they come out of medical school with the golden handcuffs. They got good salaries, 250K plus, right? A surgeon, like I have a heart specialist here in Austin that makes 600K a year, you know? I mean, they make really good money. And they have all the bells and whistles as far as, you know, health insurance and benefits and, you know, unemployment and vacation and, and uh, you know, retirement funds. I mean, all of that is completely taken care of them for them. And they have a humongous loan, $100,000, $200,000 loan when they step out of school. So, yes, they get caught up in this and they don't see a way out. It's hopelessness that makes them kill themselves, not burnout. And so we have to realize that I actually don't think that we would ever have gotten away with putting COVID patients on ventilations, which killed 97% of everybody who was put on ventilators died. Because in reality, anybody who knows anything about anything knows that if you have an inflamed, infected lung that's damaged, putting high pressure air through it, it's going to blow it. These people blew their lungs out and drowned. Horrific. Of course, steroids, which would actually decrease inflammation, would be the natural treatment for this, which is what they started to utilize months later and actually saved a bunch of people, right? So the treatments were completely wrong. And I don't think that any of this would have flied unless the healthcare professionals, the doctors and nurses were already pushed to their limit in such a low place, completely demoralized. They had disempowered in every possible way. They have no say in patient care anymore. And this is why this was pushed through. It would not have flying. I don't think they would have been able to get away with it otherwise. So when you start seeing the snowball rolling down the hill and you start seeing how the patterns and everything that lined up, to make this the perfect storm, uh, it gets a little bit uh, intense, right? Because you really start seeing there's not one thing, but it's hundreds of things that's been going on for decades that had lined up for, for them to be able to pull this off in such a well-orchestrated way. Yeah, and I think too, when you're in the Rockefeller model of medicine, and everything's inverted and everything's two truths and a lie and you've taken an oath to do no harm and you've just been through all this indoctrination for years, right? To get your degree, 
irrespective of how much it costs to get that degree, if you truly think you're doing no harm and you've been taught in essence to do harm in a lot of ways, right? Depending on the, on the uh, niche within the medical model, like dentistry and things like that, right? They, I, I think most of them really believe that they're doing good things. And uh, so you've got this whole branch in the medical model that's got cognitive dissonance. There's a whole bunch that actually will tell you privately that they're awake to what's going on, as you mentioned, but they're, they've got the golden handcuffs. And then the doctors, I believe we really need to be paying the most attention to are the ones that in spite of breaking, you know, in spite of having massive debt and losing all that, that golden handcuff stuff that you mentioned and, or breaking free of the cognitive distance and, and deprogramming, deprogramming them, themselves, those doctors that are willing to really put themselves out there, those are the ones we actually really need to be listening to because nobody's in their pocket. The fact that people don't believe that scientists and doctors can be bought, like they can, they're willing to believe that a cop can be bought or a school superintendent can be bought or a judge can be bought. Like people are willing to believe anything, but all of a sudden it's like science, science. It's like, oh my God, on what planet did you not think a scientist and or a doctor could be bought? <laughs> like, and by the way, a lot of the people you see on TV are actual actors. COVID or not, right? Look, there's a lot of pretend lawyers on TV. You know, they don't, it doesn't take them much to, for these Freemason puppets to, you know, go and find other people to come on, on TV and play the role of a doctor. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean that they are a doctor, right? So it, it's, yeah, we could go on and on about this, but I know that we wanted to leave things on a high note as well. We didn't plan on, you know, going this far down the, the medical rabbit hole, but I do think it's important because it's been a year now, right? Two year or we're, we're a year into two weeks to flattening the curve. Mm-hmm. So I think we can all agree that there was never a curve to flatten because this has never been about a virus. And we can ask them, you know, I, as in initially I was like, well, where are the police and the military? They took an oath to protect us against foreign and domestic terrorists. Where's the medical, you know, professionals? Why are they taking a stand for us? Why aren't businesses taking a greater stand and actually saying, no, I'm going to open my business and I'm going to have for people that are really that afraid of dying of a pandemic, I'll have mask hours for them. They can come in my store between this time and this time and I'll wear a mask for them for those two hours and the rest you know, the healthy people, as has always been the case in the world, can roam around freely, right? I asked all those questions, but to your point, like how much are we going to try and keep the old system intact? It's crumbling anyways. Do we really want to defend it? Like, what are we really fighting for? What if we focus our energy on what we're creating? And, and, but we still have to straddle these two worlds, right? We really do feel like we're living in an alternate reality, right? Cause we go outside and we're like, oh, wow. There's a lot of people that still believe this is a thing. Wow. Like what? <laughs> I forget and people look at me like what? I'm like, okay, there's no virus. Yeah. Right. So, so what are some things? There is the thing. What are right? some things we can do? Yeah, I mean, I would say this, I'm a, you know, I work with a lot of small business owners, a lot of them are brick and mortar. So I helped a lot of them. I've been in the trenches with them this year and helped them to grow their businesses and survive through it. So I think if you are small business owners, open up. Okay, so get together with other small business owners in your area and open up, make yourself essential. 
So this is happening, this rebellious act is happening across the globe. In Italy, for example, 50,000 restaurateurs got together and opened up against the lockdown with no, no specific mandates. I'm just gonna have a little sip of water. And so they open up and the Italian government couldn't do anything because it was 50,000 of them. And they said, okay, I guess we opening up. And that was that. And it happened in, in a county where you live too, Jennifer, right? Close by to you where some of the small business owners got together and said, we opening up. And then their county has to open up. So I think what we're forgetting is that we, the people, have the power. We're giving our power away. So this is an opportunity to be empowered. So, you know, don't be afraid by the data that I shared with you. Don't get scared about it. Don't feel lost in all of that. And if you're not a data person, don't even worry about it, but really take your power back from the government, from the, the authorities, uh, from the virus, from the shaming of, that people might throw you away. Take your power back. And stand in your own power, follow your own intuition, what you know is right from your heart and really stay true to that and, and really start showing up in that way. If you can come into an empowered state and show up there, I promise you, you're going to find other people that align with you, that want to be with you, that want to support you. There's so many of us banding together right now in community and making a difference. There's festivals to go to. There is, you know, all kinds of gatherings happening in person and online of people who are really looking to make a difference and who's fighting the way. There's a Freedom Airline being distributed right now that's happening. Dolores Cahill is, is spearheading that project. There's a float fest going on in Texas right now where a bunch of people got together on private land on a bunch of acres where they're all getting together and camping together and talking about all of this and empowering each other and getting together. There's people in the cryptocurrency that's really exploding and getting together to really create an alternative currency for us. There's so many things happen. Now, we all have unique gifts. We all have a unique calling to follow. So if you are feeling like you have a vision for what you want to see in the world and you are feeling called forth to step up as a leader, I just want you to heed that call, right? So here's the thing, we need leaders right now. It's time for humanity to level up and lead up. It's time for us to show up in a bigger way than before. And I just wanna let you know, even if you're scared, do it anyway. Cause that is really the only difference between what you might think is somebody super successful in your space. The only difference between them and you is simply that they do it anyway. They don't necessarily have more resources than you. They're not smarter than you. They're not less scared than you. They just do it anyway. I mean, I literally do this because I'm compelled. I know I can't sit back and be quiet any longer. I can't just sit by the sidelines of what's happening in the world right now. This is my moment to show up and be in integrity with myself. So you find what you want to do, right? You find you, me, I'm passionate about helping other leaders that has a big vision, that has something that I either want to activate or something that they already built that now needs to be accelerated so they can really get it out there in the world. Those are the people I love to support and help and guide so that you can really get out there and make the kind of impact that we need to see right now. 
But that is the opportunity. And it's going to look a little different for all of us, right? Because we all have different natural strengths and talents. So you need to tune in, get clear about how you can really contribute to the world right now, to humanity right now. But we need you. We need you now more than ever. This is not a time to sit this out and wait for somebody else to sweep in and try to rescue you. I think we've been wanting somebody to do that. I definitely had moments like that this year when I wanted somebody, another leader, like a government, somebody to step up and rescue us from this you know, downward spiral <laughs> that we are in the midst of. But I just want to let you know, nobody's coming. Nobody's coming. It's up to us now to actually show up, level up, lead up, make it happen. I love that you said that. I was just thinking I'll probably create a post on this. There's an abundance of masks. There's an abundance of virtue signaling. There's an ab abundance of moral high ground. There's an abundance of a lot of things, but there's a real fucking lack of logic and leadership right now. A massive, massive deficit of, of leadership. Mm -hmm. And those of us that are showing up and leading are linking arms all over the world. Right. And it's in the power of that, that we, um, you know, we can lead, we have to lead ourselves through this, but we can lead together, but we can't lead, like we, we have to unite the leaders and we have <laughs> to amplify, well, we have to activate leaders that, you know, for people that are on the sidelines and they just don't know or for people that have stepped into their leadership, but they, they know it's time to amplify it. Like that's what we need right now. Mm -hmm. None of this is comfortable. None of it's comfortable, but we have to, you know, if it's, we get to choose our hard, you know, what's going to be harder for you being locked up in your house for the next five years, still masked up irrespective of whether you have a vaccine or not, because we didn't want to stand up or having the occasional person call us a name or tell us where to go. Like which, which is harder, right? Or having to pivot when you're, because Kartra, by the way, if you're watching Kartra, fuck you. Um, I use Kartra as well. And when I, you know, I'm, I'm moving away from that platform as well. That just tells me they're owned. If you're yeah. willing to be that, take that kind of route when you've been such a loyal customer and their first contact with you isn't like, hey, can we have a conversation? Their first thing is we're, we're coming at you, right? Like this is your first and last warning that tells you a lot about who, who really owns Kartra. I would love to know who actually owns them. If you know what I'm saying? Uh, I haven't looked yeah. that much into it yet, but anyways, we, uh, you know, it's time. And, and if you're hearing Madeline and I sounding a little bit exhausted, it's not because we don't have the vitality where we know that, that this is the long game. We're already prepared for that. What we're tired of is the people that are waiting to be spoon fed or waiting, you know, waiting on the sidelines for some white hats to come and save them or that somehow some politician is going to, you know, magically be able to make it all better. or Some lawsuit is going to make it all better just because things are in front of the Nuremberg or like, you know, whatever the, the hearings are right now, but the Nuremberg code doesn't mean that's going to change a lot because we don't even know whether that's a psyop as well, right? Like we don't really know what's going to happen with that. What we do know is that we have to start creating a different future. And while we're straddling both worlds, we, it, you know, I know for me, and I, I would guess the same is true for you, Madeline, that 
I, well, I can't sit by anyways. It's not in my nature, but I certainly don't want to be 80 years old looking back on this time and having people say, so what role did you play in the great awakening? When you saw that global medical apartheid and global genocide was happening, because let's be honest, that's what it is, right? When you saw that was happening, what role did you play? Oh, I just sat back and read some things on the internet. Like who's, who's going to feel good about saying that, right? <laughs> yeah, not very many. I mean, I hope not. I hope that this is the, really the questions. Like I said, you know, my mom grew up during World War II. So at the time, the Germans were flying over Sweden to occupy Norway, and they had to go completely dark at night and cover up their windows and not have any, you know, if they were going to have any light inside, but really not use any lights and all the street lights were shut down and everything. And so my mom grew up like that with very limited resources in the grocery store. She tells the story of when her mom's right after the war ended, brought home the very first bananas they could get a hold of. And my mom and my mom, my grandmother was so excited to share this. And so she had one banana that she cut up in, you know, in five pieces for the family members to, to have a piece of banana. And, and my mom said she tasted like soap, which of course we all know, like unripened bananas taste like soap and they are and they're gross. But this was, you know, my mom. And so, you know, my mom grew up there and, and, and I remember growing up, in Sweden, you know, and talking to my mom, so like, how did that ever happen? Like, how in the world did that ever happen? How did Hitler came into power? How did, how did people just go along when their neighbors were being pulled out of their homes and put on trains and sent off to concentration camps? Like, and all like people wearing stars and living in ghettos and having all the positions stripped away from them. Like, how did that happen? Well, now we know. We know how that happened because we are at the very beginning of, of genocide right now and the beginning of medical apartheid, of this kind of shunning of people that do not comply. And this dehumanization, making people inhumane because they don't comply and live along with the rules. So this is an opportunity for all of us to look at and say, okay, what am I, what am I gonna do? How am I gonna take a stand for what's right? How am I gonna take a stand for humanity? How am I gonna not make the other side evil, but actually be able to bridge the gap in some ways? How can we show up for each other right now? And it's really up to us. I keep saying that, you know, we, we the people have the power and we just need to reclaim it. We've been giving our power away for too long and you may feel disempowered, but in reality, you have the power to make a difference and you have the power to change the trajectory that the world is on and that humanity is on. And, and we need to come together and make a difference. Mm -hmm. I love that. We could keep talking forever, <clears throat> but I know, well, first of all, for those of you listening, I'm sure you're already, you know, dying to hear how you can follow Madeline because she, this is also how she's going to show up online. You're not meeting a different person here than you would be on your Facebook profile, for example. So what are the best ways for people to stay in touch with you to just be a part of your, your world, let alone learn how they can yeah. do business? Yeah, so the best thing is to just connect with me on Facebook. So Madeline White Silva, M-A-D-E-L-E-I-N-E. -E -E. 
So that's the French spelling of Madeleine. So those of you who read the Madeleine books, you know how that spells. Everybody tells me here in the US, <laughs> Madeleine books. <laughs> and then my last name is Wyke, W-Y-K-E. That's my, my Swedish name. And then my married name is Silva, S-I-L-V-A. So it's Madeleine Wyke Silva. And you can find me on Facebook. And that's probably the best way. And right now, I think you have to follow me on there uh, rather than friend me because I think my, my friend list is all maxed out. But do follow me on there. You'll see a lot of my posts. Most of my posts are all public. Uh, you know, a private message me if you want to reach out, if you want information. There's lots of information on there. We are in the process, of course, to leave Kartra. <laughs> we are rebuilding the website. I believe it's going to be done this, this week, actually. We're relaunching the website on a different platform, and we'll get the, the blog post back up and, and everything reinstated. And once that's done, I will announce it on my Facebook page, so you'll be the first to know. So that's probably the best way to get a hold of me. Awesome. Well, I'm sure I speak for everyone that we're very grateful that you joined us today. I'm so grateful for the passion and the research as well, the information that you brought to us. I know you bring it from pure heart and love for humanity and, and a desire to honor the truth and to help us all, you know, usher ourselves into this new earth that we're heading towards. So thank you for being here. And thanks to all of you for joining us today. We'd love to hear what your ahas are. So be sure to leave comments and leave a review and so on and share with people that you know would benefit. So we'll see you again next time. Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode. If you absolutely loved what you learned today, I would love for you to share with your friends by leaving a review so that more people can learn of the show and be impacted by the information we're sharing here. If you aren't already following me on social media, be sure to follow me on Instagram and Facebook by searching for Jennifer Longmore. And I'd also love for you to visit my website, www.souljourneys.ca and claim your free soul acceleration system while you're there. You'll become a VIP recipient of my ever popular daily messages from the Akasha delivered to your inbox each day. With love and namaste.